Welcome to the Osprey Podcast. Our first guest is a former Royal Marine Commando sniper turned TV and film adventurer who specializes in extreme, remote, and hostile environments. As you can imagine, he's had his fair share of adventures, and I can't really think of many people that would make a better first guest than him. I'm talking, of course, about Aldo Kane. Aldo will be doing a live Q&A with us on Wednesday, 15th of April. So if you find you have any questions for him, then head over to Osprey Europe on Instagram, give us a follow, and he'll be aligned on Wednesday, ready to give you some answers. I'm your host, Marcus Brown, and this is the Osprey Podcast. Aldo, thanks for coming on, man. How's it going? No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Strange times, huh? It is indeed. How are you finding lockdown? Um, not too bad. I was um, I was doing a job in in South Sudan and um, blissfully unaware of what was unfolding in the UK and around the rest of the world. So we um, we woke up one morning to a phone call saying that that we had to get back to the UK. We had about four hours to pack down our bush camp and then head out in helicopters and then smaller fixed wing Cessnas and then onto a bigger plane down to the capital and then yeah so it took us about took us about 36 hours to bounce back to back to the UK so anyway I'm here been back about two weeks now and uh, pretty much been locked down since then. Man well I'd like to start just by talking about the film Unseen Enemy that you worked on with Janet Tobias um it was documenting the the sort of rise of new viruses that we've been seeing across the world, um, looking at what the cause might be, looking at some of the effects, told some really genuinely heartbreaking stories. Um, it seems sort of more relevant now than perhaps than ever. Um, in the first five minutes, one of the professors said, if we do nothing, it's not a matter of if there will be a global pandemic, it's a matter of when. Could you tell us a bit about what your role was on that film? Yeah, that was um, that was six years ago we filmed that, so 2014. Um, we uh, we were filming, so the film, just if anyone hasn't seen it, it's called Unseen Enemy. It's on, I think it's on Amazon, is that right? Um, it, I found it, I couldn't get it on Amazon, but I did find it on Vimeo. Managed to get it, yeah. So, um, so you can get it. Um, but anyway, Unseen Enemy is about not just Ebola, but, but lots of different emerging viruses um, and how they can turn from, from patient zero into global pandemics. Um, and it's, it's a pretty terrifying watch, I would say. But, you know, six years on and, and we're sat in the middle, you know, we're all effectively in lockdown because of a global pandemic. Um, so it's, it's, it's more relevant now than it probably ever has been. But um the section of the film that I was involved with, Janet Tobias, who was the um, who's the overall director and, and company owner who made it, is um, uh, you know we'd worked on a few films before, and she asked if I could come and look after a film crew that was that was going into first of all the Congo to document how the Ebola virus first um, how it first came into being, and then how it was transmitted, and how that then became endemic in in West Africa. Um, so we'd been filming there, I think in February in 2014, there wasn't an outbreak 
uh, if my timings are right. We got back to the UK, then the outbreak started in, I think it was Guinea, and then very quickly it was into Sierra Leone, into Liberia. And so as a film crew, small little crew, me, Janet, um, a director of photography, camera assistant and the sound lady, we um, we we basically re-rolled within two or three weeks and, and then headed straight out to Monrovia in Liberia to document everything to do with how Ebola was taking hold in in these in these countries. What are some of the practicalities of working, particularly as part of a film crew, amongst a situation like that? Well, I think, you know, speaking from my experience then, um, I found it difficult because you're dealing with, as the film title suggests, an unseen enemy or a hidden enemy. You know, my time in the Marines, you know, you're, you're potentially fighting another person. Um and and with any other situation, you know, you can usually see what you're up against. With viruses, um, that's that's not the case. Uh, so there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of spin. There's a lot of hearsay. There's lots of non-facts that get peddled about viruses, and in different countries, that comes across differently, and it can affect and hamper um, the relief uh, that's coming in to help these these countries. And as you can see here. You know, it pretty much paralyzes the countries that the virus takes hold of, um, not just individually, but also economically. You know, it, it can shut countries down, which effectively we're seeing now. But um, it's um, it's hard. We, as a crew, my job is to is to look after them to make sure they're um, safe on the ground. On this particular job in West Africa, I was location producing as well, so I was sorting out a lot of the contacts, the stories, following up on. Um, on on as you saw in the film, you know some of the harrowing stories there, um, and we are, as a film crew operating in some of the most high risk environments that I've that I've ever operated in. Um, one mistake in the thirty six of forty stages that you have to do to take your PPE off or put it on could PPE like, being personal protect, uh, protective personal equipment, protective right? equipment. So you've got your masks, hood, gloves. And there's a very strict process of how you put that on, how you take it off, how you chlorinate, how you wash, how you spray, um, and and if you get that wrong, then then you die. You know, you, you contract a virus and and you can very quickly become ill, and that's exactly what was happening to the doctors and healthcare workers who were working phenomenal amounts of hours, um, and and they're making one mistake, taking the PPE off the wrong way. Or whatever, um, and ending up contracting the virus and dying. So, so from, you know, from a personal point of view, there was people there risking their lives day in day out to to help um, serve the people that were dying of the virus. And and our job really was was there documenting it from the highest levels of government right the way down to the people contracting it on the street and and out further out of the cities. Um, it was fair, yeah, it was fairly fairly tough time, I would say. How do you manage fear or anxiety in that sort of environment? Um, the same way I treated it as I treat everything, and as it's the first thing with any anxiety or, or fear is that rarely people are making decisions based on facts. Uh, I guess the thing with fear is, is, and the thing that fuels fear 
is is people's opinions or people's opinions on facts. You know, we read newspapers, scaremongering headlines. You know, we we get bombarded now twenty four hours a day by continual news about certain subjects, and um, it's very hard to to dig past that and to get into the nitty gritty of the actual details of certainly in that outbreak is how the virus is transmitted. And we were working with some of the best um, epidemiologists, virologists in the world. Um, and, you know, we, we made our decisions based on their expert advice. And, you know, we would only ever film in areas where these guys said, this is how you can remain safe there. This is how you can do it. Then we would do that. Um, so dealing with fear is the same as I do with everything, is I get all the facts together without the spin, without the basically um and then i make my decisions based on facts so it's quite a logical approach then basically it has to be because um especially in a situation where you cannot see what it is that's the problem the virus um you have to you have to deal with facts um and you you know that you have to crush your anxiety and your fears with with knowledge and with facts and speaking to the correct people, experts, you know, people spend their entire life studying one specific strain of, of virus. You know, if we don't listen to these people, then we're leaving ourselves open to, to much worse than the situation we're in at the minute. That's it. I, I guess um, there's kind of a lesson in that for all of us at the moment in that trying, I at least find it very easy to land myself in a rabbit hole of news articles. But I don't know who's written what article. I don't know what their sources are. Um, yeah. And especially with social media now, WhatsApp groups that just light up. Um, it's easy to get overwhelmed by it all, I think. It is. And if, you know, I, I'm, I have to say I'm not an expert in, you know, in emerging viruses. And, and of course, me, me neither. <laughs> um, but, but what I can tell you is, is that my life is much better for not reading that I'm not bombarding myself with news. I stopped watching news probably 10 years ago. Um, really? I don't have any reminders on my phone set up from any news channels. Um, and so I'll dip into specific areas that I'm interested in, keep a general view, but I don't read newspapers. I don't read um, or, you know, have news on 24-7 because it's it's the job of these organizations is to to continually pour out news and content. And once you end up, the same as in life, once you end up in a wormhole of something, regardless of what it is, you will find the things, you will find the fuel to to fuel your fire. You know, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, I very much now try and just deal with facts, purely facts. Listen to the experts, do what the experts say, deal with facts um, and nothing else. God, we got deep straight away. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard not to with a film like that. <laughs> Yeah, 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 true. The, I, I think it was Dr. Moses. So was he, he presumably you were working with him, right? Yeah. So yeah. he, at one point, he said that the healthcare system there, or at least the unit he was working in, was over overwhelmed in three days. That's right. Um, which I think just kind of emphasizes the importance of us paying attention to the to the experts right now. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, the experts are the ones. They're, they're ultimately the ones that have everyone's interest, um, you know, at heart. And it's you know, what else can you do when 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 experts tell you something and we base it on history? I mean, there's 
there's three or four other series out there that have been made over the last 15 years that document pandemics and and all of them say not if but when um it, it's it's a simple um i mean it's it's really a simple equation of lots and lots of people living on top of each other global travel now is so prolific when the first ebola outbreak happened in 1976 i think it was if i remember correctly um you know people went traveling back and forward from from uh, kinshasa um to Europe, to the UK, whereas now, you know, you've seen how quickly this virus has spread from, from China just within the matter mm. of a month or two months. Um, global travel is, is so prolific and, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, it is a disaster waiting to happen or is happening. But like I say, I'm I'm not an, I'm not an expert on all this. <clears throat> yeah, we'll, we'll have to remind the audience to take a, a pinch of salt with everything we say on this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but they, they talked about the, the where the viruses are even coming from in the first place um, quite a bit. And they and essentially, as if we needed another reminder, it came back to global warming, right? Um, yeah, like I say, I'm not an expert on this. But from, from what I can tell, when you speak to various different experts about where these viruses come from, I think there's an underlying um, situation where you have overpopulation of people that are pushing into areas that that didn't necessarily have people living before so for example if i'm you know cutting a track into the jungle somewhere in the middle of africa or uh, southeast asia um opening it up for illegal logging or extraction of trees or minerals um once i'm then in there my team of either poachers are in there or um, or even just bona fide proper workmen who are going in there to, I don't know, put up electricity pylons. Once they're in there and that road is opened up, it then opens up that road for wildlife crime, for poaching, for trafficking. Um, and and there is evidence to suggest, even just bushmeat, there's, there's an evidence to suggest that, that these viruses can and do come from animals that are entering the food chain, which weren't necessarily part of the food chain before. But um, again caveat is i'm not an expert on that <laughs> let's talk about isolation mm. a little bit um you spent uh as part of the bbc horizon episode you spent 10 days in a bunker underground on your own in the dark with no way of telling the time no technology um sounds like the stuff of nightmares can you tell us a bit about why were you even doing that in the first place? Yeah, it was um, it was a BBC Horizon experiment on circadian rhythm. You can find it probably on iPlayer. It's called um, Body Clock. Um, and effectively what they wanted to do was take me and remove all cues of daylight um, and human interaction and um, I guess put me into, uh, I guess, sensory deprivation and see what effect that had on my circadian rhythm. Um, so that was actually the main thrust of the program was about how my, uh, how my body clock reacted. Um, but interestingly, there was lots of other things that came out of it for me with regards to mental health, well-being, fitness. Um, and I guess, yeah, so I was, I was walked inside a, a nuclear bunker for um, sort of down the stairs into... Uh, down I think three flights of stairs and then and then locked in this 
soundproofed room. Um, I had a bed. It was fairly... It was soundproofed as well. Yeah. And I can tell you the, um, the noise of... I can tell you the noise of silence is, is deafening. True silence is, is deafening. Um, I was walked down into, I guess, three flights of stairs, locked in a, a room, and I was in there for 10 days on my own in the dark. Um, no contact with the outside world, no reference to times and no clocks, no watches, no technology, and, and obviously no windows and no cues as to daylight. It seemed like uh, by the end, just that your sleep pattern had completely fallen apart by that stage. Yeah, yeah. And that's basically, from what I can tell from what the scientists had worked out, is that your circadian rhythm, which is how your body all your organs and your body as a whole operates when it sleeps, when it's awake. Um, and we tend to think that it's a 24 hour cycle. We've given days 24 hours, but actually our, our body has a system which is 24 hours and a bit, 25 hours, something. So without any reference to daylight and time, then you, you, you free fall effectively. You go into this free cycle of circadian rhythm um again i'm not a scientist but what happened is is my sleep pattern slipped by around 40 to 50 minutes every night um and so by the end of the 10 days i was going to bed at two o'clock three o'clock in the morning and then and then waking up at however many hours later the interesting thing is when you when you don't have any reference to time or daylight when you go to bed you don't know what time it is and so when you wake up, whether it's one hour, eight hours, or 10 hours later, you have no idea how long you've been asleep. So you don't know. So when they started to mess with waking me up, they had alarms where they could wake me up. Um, and effectively what that did was was induce this jet lag phase. Um, and I was doing experiments down there. Um, and what it, what it highlighted is how ineffectual I was at decision-making processes about even just cognition and strength and um, uh, like grip strength, all of it changed. Yeah, I, I found that really interesting, the, the fact that even your grip strength was dropping Yeah, and, and just, just by essentially just messing up your sleep pattern. Exactly. So, you know, what they're, they're trying to say by the end of it is, that, you know, there's everyone has an optimum amount of sleep. You have an optimum time to go to the gym when to relax when to be productive and if you're not operating in those boundaries for yourself then you then you're fighting yourself um so that was that was the main thrust of the the, the film was about the circadian rhythm and but i found um interestingly for myself much more was from a mental health point of view that without daylight and human interaction and exercise it was very easy for me to to mentally start to unravel. Um, mm. And I could see that, you know, 10 days I could ride out just about. I'd managed to work out a system on the wall that that counted sleep cycles. So every time I fell asleep for something that I felt was longer than the dose, then I would mark that up kind of as a day. Um, and, uh, yeah, if, if that was an indeterminate time that I'd been sent in there for, I don't think I would have made the 10 days. Um, so, so I think it, it highlighted to me the importance of exercise, getting outside, 
um, and human interaction. Those three things I've been banging on about now since I did that <laughs> experiment. And, you know, it makes such a difference to get outside and actually have daylight hit your skin has a difference yeah. on how you sleep and how effective your sleep is at night and general I'm, well-being. I've noticed that over the last few days, actually, because there's been a couple of days where I just actually haven't left the house for any reason. Yeah. Now I'm I'm dead addicted to the one day exercise, uh, one exercise a day. Um, even a... ju- even just walking, like just going outside and getting the air. Until you've had something taken away from you, you very rarely um, are aware of of how lucky you are to have it. Um, you know, to have daylight removed from you, communications to anyone removed from you, um, exercise. So now. You know, I'm in lockdown now, I think 14, 15 days. And, you know, I've got a garden that I can go into. I can make coffee anytime. Uh, I can train in the garden. You know, I'm out in the daylight. I've got internet. I can Zoom people. I can I can do work. I can write. So really, you know, I can, it, it's put it into lockdown into perspective for me. But the other side of that is, is that there are people out there who, you know, who live incredibly... Um, lonesome lives, you know, that, you know, for whatever reason or another, can't leave the house, can't get the exercise, can't get daylight, don't talk to people. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah, I, I guess it can be tricky. And, and there are people, you know, all over the world that work in isolation and choose to be in isolation. And then there's other people that have ended up in isolation. And that's different. It's a different heads, head game. That's a big difference. Yeah, it? huge difference. I feel like that's relates to, to all of these kinds of trips in a way um because there's there's, obviously if you're choosing to go into a bunker for 10 days or to go and work in the middle of an ebola outbreak it's one thing when you choose to do it and you're in control of that decision but when you get dumped in the middle of it that's that's yes exactly uh you know it's 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 very different whether you choose to do something or whether you've been put in that situation but there's you know, there's a, a school of thought that says, regardless of what situation that you've been put into, right up until the very point that you draw your last breath, you still have control over your mindset, your decision-making process, and what you make of a situation. Um, I've read a, a little bit of the the sort of old Stoics over the the years. Um, and, you know, they're, they're very much of that mindset that, you know, regardless of the situation that happens to you, you can still appreciate what you do have. Um, and, yes, we are locked in at the minute, but we do have Internet. We do have food. We do have toilet paper. You know, <laughs> there, there is no problem with the logistics chain in, in the UK. You know, it's just people holding yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. So so there's lots, you know, for, there's lots to be thankful for. Obviously, that's not taking away anything from what's happening now. You know, this is mega serious. And, and the frontline services that are grafting now are, are putting themselves right in the line of fire. But for everyone else, you know, you've got to sit, you know, you, you have got time now to, to get all these bits and bobs done that you've never had time to do before. And it's, it's, it's I guess, you know, we can't be in control of, of what's happening outside of our house, but you can be in control of, you know, what you're going to do with the time that we've been now given by the government to stay at home. Pretty sure that's a Gandalf quote. <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 showing, I'm showing my my nerd side here, but that's definitely a Gandalf quote. Is it? All, you, all you have to do is decide 
what to do with the time that is given to you. Something along those lines. I've never seen it, um, but yeah. <laughs> watch it, man. It's outdoor inspiration right there. Um, when you mentioned the front line, actually, it reminded me of a, a quote I heard recently. Dr. Ed Hope said that um, people that keep referring to the medical staff as being on the front line, but he doesn't yeah. see it that way. He says, you're on the front line. Everyone's on the front line and they're on the last line. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's going to be, it's tough times for people, you know, and it's difficult when you can't see what the problem is. And, you know, it's beautiful outside today. It's, it's 20 odd degree. Well, it will be 20 odd degrees this weekend, I think. Um, and it feels like spring has landed, you know, bank holidays, whatever, you know, it's coming up to Easter. It's, um, it's going to be tough times to, to be able to stay in, but ultimately, that's what that's all we've been asked to do we've been asked to stay in and reduce contact we've not been asked to go to war we've not been asked to put our lives on the line you know we've just been asked to stay at home and uh, and keep out the way so um yeah i think that's that's the tough part that people are getting their heads around it's a marathon not a sprint right yeah yeah it will be yeah i mean the, the thing with with from my very tiny little bit of experience is that these things don't go away quickly um you know, Ebola is now from from in 1975 being nothing to now it's completely endemic. You know, it's always going to be there. You know, it's only 30 years or something like that. Really? So it's not long. So it's, um, they know they're not, they're just not going to be able to get rid of it. They, they will never get rid of Ebola now, as far as I'm aware. Like I say, I'm not an epidemiologist or virologist, mm. but, you know, that's now a virus which affects certain places in the world um so yeah it's, it's um i think it's going to be a big mindset shift and, and potentially we're you know the entire world has been been put on pause people have been mm. been asked to to stay at home and, and people will reevaluate. there'll be songs written there'll be books written there'll be lives changed you know there'll be a lot of positive things come out of it but yes yeah, tough times let's talk about fitness a little bit You've, you've just launched the Expedition Fit program, right? Yeah. Um, what, tell us, uh, just give us an overview about your general approach towards fitness. Um, basically, I, I joined the Marines at the age of 16, um, and I've been fairly active since then, um, across the board, whether I was in the Marines or when I got outside, and I've been working in the outdoor sort of environment now for the last 20 years. Um, fitness to me has always been um a means to an end like i've had to be fit to do the job or i get fit from doing the job um it's never been about being cosmetic um about having six packs or you know about massive guns um it's you know and, and i can't get too big so my fitness and the same is i mean i'm no different to anyone else that's sort of in my line of work um i probably just shout quite loudly about it but but <laughs> you know, mental health and fitness are two things that, that together getting outside currently at the minute we can't, but, you know, being outside, being physically fit and, and mentally fit is like, you're giving yourself the best shot at this one tiny little blip, um, on earth that we've got. Um, and so fitness, I guess to me is about functional fitness. It's about being able to, to carry my rucksack, to be able to climb, to be able to go into a cave, to swim, to run, jump, fight, whatever I need to do. Um, and so Expedition Fit was really, I just get asked a lot about 
what fitness programs I do, how I keep fit, how I train, how I maintain. And, and I'm really at home and, and have a gym with, with all the stuff. So everything that I do is fairly um, l- low kit, so hardly any kit. Um, and it's just volume. And it's usually I can do it anywhere, whether it's in a hotel or out on the ground. When I was in South Sudan there, I set up a little gym. I had like a pull-up bar, like a tree to do pull-ups on, the suspension trainer. Um, so it's it's really um, Expedition Fit is a, is a program that's, that's basically calisthenics, mobility, and CV running. Um, and it's, it's like an eight-week program. But that's, it's based on exactly what I do for training. Okay, so if you were to, let's say you had only three, three exercises that you have to stick with till the end, what do you think they'd be? Where would you? Where if would we're you talking go? no kit, no kit, and you've just got three exercises till death, <laughs> till death. Uh, I mean, I've been some places where you have no pull-up bar. My one of my favorite exercises is pull-ups, just because it's it just mm. uses so many different muscles. But if you don't have any kit then always burpees it, like if you you know if you've got space to stand up and lie down then you can do 100 burpees every day and you'll be fit by the end of that trip whatever it is that you're doing um they're not that pleasant to be doing but burpees uh, press-ups and squats for me are probably three of the biggest exercises and you can do that you can do that in your bathroom Sure, and it's easy to easy enough to add weight if you do want to as well, right? Yeah, so um, most of the stuff most, get creative with it, but yeah, exactly. But most of the exercise that I do is body weight stuff. It's calisthenics and mobility, right. and and I'm 42 now, so I'm I'm having to do a lot more of the mobility and stretching than I used to do when I was younger. <laughs> um, stay on top of it. I watched a video of you doing the three peaks last year. Was it? Yes, uh, just in September. Yeah. I found it really interesting how you d- you done so to give it some context. You did the three peaks, but you also rode a bike between, right? So usually people would get a lift. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, exactly. I, you know, I wasn't making a big deal about how hard it was. It was actually just um, like a challenge I'd set myself. Really, I wanted to do the three peaks because um, I mean, it really. It's, to, to remind myself, I spend so much time traveling abro- abroad, but to remind myself how beautiful the UK is. Um, and Ben Nevis, Scaffell Pike and Snowden, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful drive between them all or a ride between them all. And it's, it's amazing running up and down them. Um, so really, it was, it was a personal thing. That was all. Um, I've got a big BMW GS uh, adventure bike. And I thought it'd be amazing to be self-sufficient, run up Ben Nevis, run down, get on the motorbike, ride down to Scaffell Pike, run up Scaffell Pike, down, motorbike down to Wales, run up um, Snowden. Um, I have to say it was, I didn't do any training beforehand. I just like, cracked on with it. I had a knee injury after the first hill. Um, and then you just get on the motorbike and you just like, you just seize up on it. Um, and then, so I did it in about 23 I was um, actually the motorbike was was the hardest part of the whole thing. Riding, um, it was raining, it was wet, it was miserable, cold, um, and actually, you know, when you're sort of, um, you know, filtering and, and you just have to be very aware of of what you're doing and, and fully on it. Um, so I found that I found that motorbike riding part of it particularly difficult, but um, 
yeah, it was just a nice way of seeing the three peaks. I'd never done it before continuously, and, and it was a bit of a challenge. So on the Snowden climb, you had a guy called Lex yep. Fitness yeah, yeah. with you. Um, really funny dude on YouTube. Check him out if you're, yeah. uh, if you're looking, for, looking for a laugh. Um, and he, he uploaded his own video. Bearing in mind, you've already done two of the mountains. You've ridden the distance between. You've done all of the riding you're going to do at this point. You're, you've injured your knee. And he was really struggling to keep up and, and basically just had to let you go. Yeah, and then it, and then at one point his leg went in like full cramp, and he's at that point he just went, guys, I've just realised that gym muscle is useless. Yeah, <laughs> and of, and of course that's not entirely true, but you know he was making a point that um, sort of harkens to a whole philosophy. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he's Lex is the top dude. It was funny actually. I needed that by the time I got to um, Snowden. I was pretty dark place by then so he was like g'ing up the old spirits um but yeah he, he said himself as well you know there's a big difference between looking good and then being able to function and it depends what you want you know the majority of people don't need to be able to run up and down three or four mountains right it's just about knowing, knowing what your goal is and knowing how to achieve that right exactly like if you want to be good at running run if you want to be big and strong looking then do big strength exercises if you want to be functionally fit do body weight exercises i think the key is is to know what it is that you want to do um and you know ultimately for me carrying excess bulk and muscle is, is fairly useless. You know, if I'm climbing up a rope somewhere and I've got an extra eight kilos of weight on me just because I've been smashing the deadlifts and the bench press for the last two months, then then I'm going to have issues. So, um, but yeah, yeah, it's the, the Free Peaks was, I, I loved it. Um, I would definitely suggest anyone to get out and do it. The UK, man, is going to be like home for the next few months, if not six months, you know, we're going to be, there's going to be fairly hefty restrictions on international travel. So I would definitely say once this is over and, you know, people can get out and about is, is get up into the hills in the UK. Three Peaks is a great way of doing it. To be honest, the more I've traveled outside the UK, um, you know, on Osprey shoots or, or just general trips for whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. The more I've done that, the more I've realized how good we have got it. And that's not to, you know, paint a bad light no, on no. any of those other places, but some of the landscapes here are unreal. Yeah, I, I was, um, when I was on, I jumped on the motorbike um, just after coming off Ben Nevis. And I have to say that A82, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it goes through Fort William and then through Glencoe and then side of Loch Lomond, um, down to Glasgow. That is one of my favorite roads um it's in the world i would man. say but to do that on a motorbike just like you know traveling along and yeah it's stunning so yeah we are we are pretty lucky and that, that was you know that was it was a good reminder to me really that what we've got on the doorstep here for sure we actually shot our uh the archeon series we shot our main hero images on that road or not on yeah the road. that's not on the road on the mountain up in in glencoe yeah 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 it's uh yeah it's a, what a beautiful place what are some of the most common mistakes that you see if you're trying to achieve functionality what are some of the common mistakes you see people making it would, uh, for me you know i'm I'm not a pt or uh, you know everything that i do is because it works for me but my um biggest issues that i'm seeing now is is mobility and, and stretching more than anything else um 
so if, if, you know, I've done basically been doing years of smashing around up in the hills and the mountains, mm. climbing, yomping, never stretching, never doing mobility. And, you know, I'm, I'm suffering from it now. Actually, this isolation has been good because, because I've had nothing else to do. You know, I'm, I'm working through, there's a book called How to Become a Supple Leopard by Ken Yeah, 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 I know. Star. And uh, and I've just been grinding through like all my injuries, and I've got two Lacoste balls um, and and some of the bands and things, and I'm just basically grinding through my injuries and improving mobility. And today I went for um, I went for a run and close to nine miles, and I didn't have any pain in my lower legs for the first time in honestly years. Um, yeah, so you know, and and I think that's down to basically working on mobility and for me that's yeah. the biggest setback to, for functionality in the field is is pain or or through lack of mobility i've heard you talk a, lo- a number of times about the uh, well there's one particular phrase that really grabbed me um which was uh cheerfulness in the face of adversity mm-hmm. which that's like part of the marines um i don't know what that's command what that they, they call it commando spirit commando spirit yeah. Um, I really, really like that. I've heard you say it. I've heard Foxy say it a couple of times. It resonated with me especially um, because of one specific thing, which is that I'm I'm what you would call an exceedingly average surfer. <laughs> very, very intermediate, middle of the road, entirely unremarkable. Um, but I've been in big enough surf to get really scared. Yeah. And when there's when that wave is coming towards you, and it's way bigger than anything you've seen before. And you've got to, you've got to, you know, roll your board and get underneath. There were time and time again where that would happen, and I'd basically just brick it and either throw my board, which is pretty much the worst thing you can do, um, or you know, just generally panic. And then there was one occasion where I was in with a mate, and exactly that situation was happening. And I just looked over to him, and both of us just started laughing. I'm, I'm confident that even now that is still the quickest. I've ever gone under and come back up. I think it's, um, you know, that laughing is also nerves that happens in, that happens in lots of situations where you think these people shouldn't be laughing. And actually it's, it's directly down to. It's just the, the stress response. Nervous. Right? It's a stress response. It's a nervous, the same as yawning um, as well. You know, yawning, laughing. It's all, it's a way of uh, displacing stress. Um, but yeah, it, cheerfulness in the face of adversity is, the commando spirit, which I bang on about all the time, is courage, determination, unselfishness, cheerfulness in the face of adversity, and it's you know it's those four pillars that underpin, you know, it underpins lots of things that I do, and again like Foxy or um, Nims or any of the other guys that you know that you guys know, and and it's um, that cheerfulness in the face of adversity or gallows humor is like you're there anyway. Um, you may as well enjoy the process, whatever that is and however bad it is. Um, and I will say you've got like type one fun we know is stuff that's fun to do at the time and fun when you look back. Type two fun where it's not fun when you're doing it, uh, but it's fun when you look back. And that's, you know, cheerfulness and, and adversity is kind of like that. Oh, there's type what's, three fun. What's type three? Type three is not fun when it's happening and it's not fun when you look back on it. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it's all, it all comes down to attitude and what your attitude is at the time. And, you know, 
tough times, tough situations, you know, you're not judged on whether you get through it or not. You get judged on how you got through it. Um, and, and cheerfulness in the face of adversity for me is, you know, it's quite a big one. Lots of people have got through lots of tough times, but if you're the guy that's screaming at someone or dropping the C-bomb at them when they just need a little bit of help then, or, or a bit of cheering up, then, you know, that you'll be judged on that. You talk a lot about the, the kind of iron will that, that you built up in the Marines. How do you start building that? Where if you're, you know, if you're not in the Marines, if you're not in the military in any way, how do you start working on that yourself? Do you know what? I, um, I don't have all the answers there, but if we're talking about um, mental and physical or emotional resilience, to use a, a well-coined word, but that, that resilience or that, that iron will, like you say, I, if I was to come up with a training program to make people feel better about shit times in their life or getting through hard times, it would be getting them out into the elements in a controlled environment, outside, up on a mountain, in winter, cold, wet. I don't mean beasting them like, you know, like thrashing them up and down the side of a hill. I just mean, let's say, for example, you and I went out once a month or a couple of times a month through the entire year. Out of those 12 or 24 times up in the hills, navigating, um, camping out, being cold, being wet, being a little bit scared, all of that builds this this, I guess, resilience, confidence is another way of looking at it is personal confidence in your abilities and courage in your convictions. It builds it and, and it builds on that experience. Um, I think then when you get to um, tough times in your life, I don't know, a relationship breakup or, or a death in the family or, you know, financial or a global, troubles. global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or a global pandemic, then, then the although not necessarily directly you would think transferable from being on the hill to, to everyday life, they are very transferable. The skills and the confidence and um, your, your courage and your own convictions, it comes from decision-making, you know, in these fairly tough environments directly helps you with the rest of life. And it, it might be as simple as, well, I got through that three days up in the Breckens with my mates, da, 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 and it was cold and it was wet, you know, I can get through this. Um, and I think, you know, if we were breaking it all down into something that was easy to tell someone, I'd say that's probably what it was. The more time you spend in hardship, in in hard environments, then the easier the rest of normal life becomes. So it's kind of what we touched on earlier, where you're you're choosing to put yourself in situations of discomfort in order to build up a resilience to those situations right so yeah, then, I mean, that, so then when you are thrown into it without having made the decision to go there then yeah you're a i mean more prepared there's loads of people doing sort of cold water training now you know the studies say it's good for mental health but the the process of putting yourself in discomfort um for a certain amount of time a it's it's good for you physically but also mentally it teaches you a bit of resilience a bit of coping strategies and you know, I don't have all the answers on that, but I'd certainly say that that uh, discomfort in environments, and I certainly don't choose it all the time. It's just the nature of my work is that it's hard graft. You're carrying things, mm. you know, or you're being denied things like water. You know, if you if you've ever been in a situation where you haven't had water for the best part of a day, and you don't know when you're going to get it again, 
guarantee you, you'll never ever look at the tap in the same way um, in your house. Um, so, so there's, there's, I guess, all the the stuff that you do out, outdoors basically is what I'm saying. Outdoors to me builds the resilience to be able to deal with and cope with normal everyday life. So just get outside, basically. That's that's what government we're... guidelines. Yeah, I would, normally I would say get outside. You know, spend the most amount of your time in the day outside as you can. And I think that might be, you know, that, that might be one thing that people start to appreciate more. I think the uh, the big national parks in the UK, like Snowdon, have seen the most amount of people ever on record going outside for walks. So ordinarily, that's bloody amazing news. Obviously, it's bad because we're in the middle of this. Right, yeah. um, epidemic or pandemic at the minute, so, so not necessarily great. But I think it may have, you know, by having that taken away, that freedom of movement taken it's away, it's making people realise. It's making people realise, you know, that getting outside is is so good, good for lots, so many different reasons. One of the quotes in the in the three piece video that really jumped out at me was um, when you said, "Being an adventurer isn't just about exploring places and going new places." It's about stretching yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally. I That's think that, it. that wraps up nicely sort of everything we're talking about here, I think. Yeah, and that on the three peaks, certainly, you know, it's certainly, you know, there's been thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have been doing that, but I hadn't ever done that. So for me, that was a new adventure. Of all the things I've done around the world, mm. I was still able to test my physical, my mental and emotional resolve and test the metal of, of Aldo Kane on, on a very familiar UK circuit, which is done every year by thousands of people. So, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's an ideal testing ground. What's up for you next? Once we're, once we are all free again, or slight, um, slightly freer perhaps. Yeah. So I don't know what's next. Uh, my industry is, is, has just been turned on its head the same mm. as everyone else. Um, I had work planned for the next six months, fairly back to back. Um, and as a freelancer, you know, that's, that's, that's unheard of. Um, but that's, that's all gone. Um, it's completely evaporated. I don't think postponed, I think even canceled. So wow. who knows? Um, you know, I need to look at the opportunities and see what I can do. And same as everyone else is just dig in, listen to the advice about what we actually have to do physically, you know, within our houses, but then, you know, for me, I need to start thinking about how, I mean, what else do you do to earn money? What work is the, what work will there be after this? Um, but as with all, I, I guess all hard times, there's going to be opportunity. It's interesting seeing everyone adapting um, and trying to fit, and trying to just pave a way through completely uncharted territory for a lot of them, like the talk show hosts, especially watching them essentially trying to become YouTubers now is really, really interesting to see. I mean, it's, it's shaking up, it's shaking up our industry and, and lots of other industries and people will realize they've been doing something the wrong way for the last 10 years change, you know, it's going to create lots of change and yeah, it's, um, it's going to be interesting times, interesting mm. times. Before we go, we are running out of time, but before we go, I'd like to get from you, we, we don't have a title for this segment, but we're working on it. So if you have any ideas at home, send them in. Um, we need we need a nice title that sums up your lockdown listen, perhaps lockdown listen. Um, so one song, one TV, uh, TV show or film, and one other, which is up to you. So it could be a podcast, it could be an app, it could be a book. 
what would you go for for your your recommendation whilst in lockdown right so my um lockdown book would be marcus aurelius meditations do you know that have you heard i'm not familiar with it no um it's an amazing uh a really amazing book written by um Marcus Aurelius, who was a general in the Roman Empire 2,000 odd years ago. Um, and it, the 10 lessons in there are as relevant today as they ever were. Um, and, and true words of wisdom there. Basically, he's, he's an ancient Stoic um, and uh, takes a lot of his teachings from Seneca, Epictetus. So I would say my book would be Marcus Aurelius Meditations. Um, Mm. Right, music. I'm going to go for Frank Turner, and that is oh, what's it going to be? The next storm, Frank Turner. The next storm. The next I like storm. Frank Turner, so it could have been any any one of his tunes. Okay, any Frank Turner, we'll just go with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then what was the last one? Uh, what do we have? We've had book, film, TV. Oh no, song. So film, TV. Film and TV. Um, <laughs> uh, can can we tout our own ones? You absolutely can. I, d- I should have mentioned already that you can catch uh, Tigers Hunting the Traffickers yep. on uh, on BBC iPlayer at the moment yeah. if you're in the UK. Yeah. Um, Tiger King that's on. Uh, oh, Netflix of course. Again. Yeah, yeah. At the minute is great. But um, yeah, Tigers, um, it, when it went out on BBC, it was around about the same time as the virus was breaking. So um it, it's i think it kind of um it didn't do didn't not as many people saw it as as i think should have seen it so you can still see tigers hunting the traffickers on bbc iplayer but i think you have to search um natural world tigers hunting the traffickers on bbc iplayer and, and then okay. you get that I, I can tell you actually just typing in your name is enough <laughs> on, <laughs> yeah. on, on iplayer just type in our okay and it comes up yeah oh, okay, good. <laughs> Um, cool. We might as well talk about that very quickly just before we finish. Um, yeah. What were your, partly like what were your expectations going into it, but then what were your main takeaways afterwards? Um, so Tigers Hunting the Traffickers was really an investigation, a live investigation into um, the illegal, two, two, twofold, the illegal tiger trade in Southeast Asia and how that's then having an effect on wild tigers in um, in Southeast Asia and Tiger Range countries. So um, effectively, you have in, in Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, China, you have tiger farms where um, where they can have up to 200 tigers um, in captivity. And they, a lot of them are being bred either for tourism, tiger petting, or into, into the tiger trade. In Vietnam, tigers are um, killed or either drowned or electrocuted they're then butchered their bones are boiled uh, down into make it like a glue um, and in china they're made into wine so they, the carcasses are hung up in vats of wine so these are luxury products which are now going out across southeast asia and that demand for those luxury products is having a direct effect on wild tiger populations so we are you know at a tipping point where in the next 10 years we could lose all wild tigers off the face of the earth, probably not even 10 years. Um, so it was an investigation into, into tiger farms and illegal poaching. 
without wanting to move into spoiler territory, which to be fair, I don't think you can spoil a show like that because the, the some of the footage is so visceral. Um, the moment with the fridge, with the freezer rather, uh, yeah. what was kind of going through your head? Because that, yeah. that's a real heavy moment. Uh, just, you know, we, we sort of all know what's going on out there and, you know, I've been out there investigating it for a while, but to to actually see the the evidence in the freezers was and and you know completely open to to the public. You know, I just effectively mm. just got out the car and walked over and opened the freezer. <laughs> it's, um, it's it's actually all, it's incredibly tense, but it's almost a little bit humorous when yeah. <laughs> when you're like just kind of standing around going, ah, you know, don't look at me. That's, that's and you can the, see there's guards on the premises. Yeah, but that's the thing is that all of these places that they don't they don't really see that they're doing anything wrong. So I suppose in their eyes they I don't see. have to hide too much, and they are open to tourism. Although right. there's not very many tourists go there, but but ultimately the owner of that that tiger zoo was was then you know found three weeks later in Hanoi with seven tiger cubs in his you know in a freezer. Um, so it's you know their evidence actually. You know, we, we wouldn't have been able to do any of that filming had it not been for the NGOs that we're working with, like um, the Environmental Investigation Agency, EIA. Mm. Um, and they've got they've got a whole section on their website now that's that's off the back of the film. It's an information pack almost that that people, if they want to know what they can do to help the the um, I guess the illegal trade in tigers and wildlife crime generally. Then they've got a section on the website dedicated to that. It's well worth a look. Well, there you have it. The first episode of the Osprey podcast. Big thanks to Aldo for coming on and of course to you for listening. Do remember Aldo will be doing a live Q&A with us on April the 15th at 12.30 UK time on the Osprey Europe Instagram account. Plus, there'll be a whole bunch of other content on there to keep you entertained, including workouts, competitions and plenty more. And I really do recommend you check out Tigers Hunting the Traffickers on iPlayer as well. I think there were some really valuable takeaways from this conversation for all of us at the moment. So I'd like to encourage you, focus on your commando spirits, that cheerfulness in the face of adversity. Because as hard as this will be, we will defeat it by staying positive and looking out for one another. Stay home, stay safe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Osprey Podcast.